Welcome back to the Lawali Life podcast. I hope you're all doing as well as you can in either self-isolation or isolation with your loved ones. I know it can be taxing, so I'm going to be here to bring you some of the most inspiring people I know and content over the next few weeks to help keep you grounded, stress-free, and inspired and motivated during this very strange time. For those of you that haven't tuned in already, I'm Alice Law and I'm your host and founder of Lawali Life, which is my coaching practice I've set up to help stress professionals and entrepreneurs to manage, get rid of and decrease stress whilst improving their personal and professional performance. This podcast is based purely around stress and loss, which is pretty apt at this time, and it is a mixture of conversations with amazing leaders in their fields from top CEOs, neuroscientists, other coaches and practitioners, spiritual thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and more guiding you through the greatest stress and losses they've personally had to overcome, how they did it, and tips on how to get you back through yours. In today's episode, I'm joined by the truly incredible and inspiring Alex Flynn, who is an adventurer. He was diagnosed with Parkinson's at the age of 36, and since then has decided to raise funds for Parkinson's and awareness of the disease. He does some of the greatest and hardest challenges in the world, and you wouldn't even consider doing some of these if you're in perfect health, let alone someone who's up against one of the toughest diseases out there. He is so inspiring, so calm, wise, and interesting to speak to, and he has a mission to raise a million pounds for Parkinson's before he's no longer able to move in the way that he can. It's truly just jaw-dropping and I hope you find him as interesting and inspiring as I did to speak to you. Well I'm so excited thank you so much for agreeing to do this because I just the things you do, Alex, it just it just blows my mind. Even if you're in complete perfect health, it would still blow my mind. So the fact that you have Parkinson's and are an adventurer and do the things you do to raise money, it's really is truly incredible. So I'm so excited to have you on the show today. So thank you so thank much. You. Thank you, Alice. So, I mean, you were diagnosed with Parkinson's when you were 36. Yeah. Um, that must have been such a shock for you. What was your sort of experience with that? Did you see it coming? What was your story around that? My story was that I, I, I was fitter than a butcher's dog. Simple as that. I was riding 250 miles a week. I was running three half marathons a week, running the old marathon at the weekends, gym work on top of that, working in a corporate entity that was had 38 countries worldwide screaming out for legal assistance and I was part of the team. And life was great. You know, I had a, I had a wife, I had kids, I had the house, I had disposable income. Life was truly amazing. You know, it was, it was going according to plan. I think that's what it was. And then I had a curveball when I went to pick up a cup of coffee in my my little finger shook and I thought, hang on, I didn't do that. That's not me. And I kept staring at my little finger and it was shaking and, you know, to everybody else, it must have been imperceptible. To me, it was gargantuan. It was like a tidal wave. It was humongous, like an earthquake going off underneath my feet. And I thought, shit, maybe I'm overdoing it at the gym. <laughs> <laughs> and then I thought to myself, yeah, maybe I am doing over, overdoing it in the gym. Yeah, that's a good that's a good example of self-control. I need to control myself a bit more, you know. So I eased back a little bit, you know, that's the way it goes. And um one thing led to another. I went to my mum went to my doctor who said, You remember that duathlon where you came off the bike and you broke your shoulder, separated it, and pushed your collarbone through the joint and broke broke your rib cage and punctured both lungs. I said, yeah. He said, you might have done some nerve damage. So I said, okay. So I went to see a guy who rocked up in a Ferrari in an Italian suit, and I thought, I'm in the wrong job. (laughs) This private doctor gave me lots of tests, made me walk up and down, MRI'd my brain, told me I had a beautiful brain, and said it was either Wilson's or Parkinson's. And I thought, 
that's not good. He said, Wilson's completely treatable. It's a buildable couple behind, you know, you can see it in the retina. We'll just get your eyes checked. I went to see an optometrist and the guy told me I had beautiful eyes. It was then that I knew. And the subsequent tests just proved the point. And I remember being told by a neurologist at Adam Brooks, or as soon as I walked into the office, I sat down and he said, you've got Parkinson's. And I said, fuck off. And he took that very well. I wasn't taking anything at all well at that point. I was falling apart and so was my wife and yeah, I don't remember driving home. Yeah, I was gonna say, what was your sort of do you remember your emotional reaction? Do you just do you I went a, numb. Did you yeah? I went really numb. I remember phoning all my, my brothers and my mum and just saying, I've got Parkinson's. And then saying, oh, better if it was me, better it'd be me than anybody else because I'm it's bit, bit the wrong dog, you know, to fight, you know. And one thing's led to another, and I seem to have traveled around the world with it and raised some money and brought awareness to 150 million households worldwide. And yeah, I had some adventures, and I don't think, I, I think, you know, quite frankly, probably it was one of the most better things to happen to me, even though perversely it's probably the worst thing that happened to me. So there is swings and balances and all that malarkey. I mean, yeah, I can't wait to get into all the, you know, the adventure things you do because it's just incredible. People would be so, like, in awe. But I'd also love to put some perspective onto you know, what Parkinson's actually means for you day to day before we even go into what you actually are capable of doing with it. So, I mean, how does it affect you on a daily basis? Because I don't think enough people are aware of what the condition actually means. I think a lot of people think, you know, a few tremors, they don't have the sort of knowledge of what, you know, Parkinson's really does to a person. Yeah. I mean, you can see me shaking at the moment. Yeah. Right. That's the effect of my medication. That's not the disease. The disease itself is one of rigidity and I think that's the easiest way to understand it it's like encasing yourself in concrete which is slowly 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 hardening over time um Parkinson's for people who are listening and don't understand it is simply in your brain you have these little cells called neurons which produce dopamine dopamine is like the oil that helps you move, simple as that. And for whatever reason, they believe it's a protein that comes up and binds to the neurons. But for whatever reason, without getting complicated, these neurons start dying in your brain. And people's brains are magnificent. We have magnificent brains. The redundancy is in our brains is amazingly huge which means that you can carry on despite all the loss of the neurons as normal until almost 80% of them are dead. And then, and only then, do you start getting symptoms of Parkinson's. And that was 13 years ago. And give or take, I think I'm doing pretty well, mainly because I exercise like crazy and I'm obsessed by sport, and probably a bit too much, and... Um, I think for me the hardest part of the day is getting started you know Um, getting out of bed can be very hard you've had a lack of dopamine in your system therefore you've got to take some dopamine in the form of levodopa and, uh, and then a dopamine agonist, synthetic dopamine, plus other lots of lovely pills and potions. And your body starts, sits there and goes, okay. And then you start shaking and shaking. And it doesn't generally bother me, the shaking. But sometimes it can be off-putting to other people. 
and to many with Parkinson's, it's socially embarrassing. It affects people's confidence and their self-worth because as time goes by, the shaking gets worse because you've hypersensitized your dopamine receptors in your brain. So I have extended release pills, which hopefully smooth out the sine wave, the up and down, on off periods. But, you know, that, that's the price that we have to pay as people with Parkinson's at this moment in time because of the, the treatment that we have available is 60 years old. And that's the best we've got. I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? That's so old in comparison to what medication does these days. It's constantly, you know, renewing. It's constantly innovating. Exactly. And with, a, with Parkinson's, Parkinson's will take away everything that I take for granted. Walking, talking, speaking, swallowing, sex. I haven't quite got there yet. <laughs> Great. But... Um, you know, everybody's ability to pick things up, to put things on. I mean, there are days when I have problems putting on a T-shirt. There are other days where I can just put it on heroically like Superman and fly out the door, you know. it It's and no two days are ever the same. And everybody who has Parkinson's has different symptoms. You know, that's why I call it a designer disease. So that makes it much more difficult to find the treatments. And obviously, it's not as sexy as cancer. And God forbid anybody having cancer. You know, I, I, I think that's horrendous. And I'm not making light of cancer at all. But Parkinson's is generally viewed as an old person's disease. And you see people, old people shaking, and they say, oh, that's Parkinson's. Well, the shaking isn't Parkinson's. That's the medication. Parkinson's is the rigidity. And Parkinson's is all-encompassing. It doesn't discriminate. So much so that the youngest ever diagnosed was a two-year-old boy in, in Canada in 2016. I mean, I read that when you'd sent me some things over and I was so shocked by that. Never heard of anyone, obviously, just getting Parkinson's that young because it's not talked about, like you say, people associated with the elderly. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's a misconception. And this, this, this doesn't help with regards when it comes to fundraising, you know, because most people think that won't ever happen to me. But one in every 37 will develop Parkinson's in their lifetime. And that's a huge ratio when you look at it like that. I mean, it's crazy that it's not got more understanding. Um, but it's incredible that someone like you is doing all the amazing things that you are to raise money for Parkinson's. And I definitely want to get into that more, which we will, because people are just going to be so inspired by it. But I'd love to know what, you know, if you, when you had Parkinson's, what has Parkinson's shown you about yourself that you didn't know before? I think that it's shown that I've always knew that I was stubborn. I think people mistake my stubbornness for determination <laughs> <laughs> or overconfidence. I'm just stubborn. I think I'm going to do something and I'm definitely going to do it and therefore I'm in the middle of something and I'm, my feet are falling apart or whatever, I'm going to still continue to do it because I said I'm going to downward do it, so I'm going to do it. You know, I'm just stubborn. Um, but I think it's also shown me that that I can find alternatives to achieve my goals and it's made me more resilient and people, people, talking of resilience, people pay lots of money to get coaches to, to uh, speak about resilience. For me, resilience is a choice. Everybody has it. You just have to sometimes dig deeper than you might think to pull that, that essence out of you. And 
it's shown, uh, for me, it's shown a huge amount of resilience. And when I ran across Europe, I had a stress fracture in my right tibia on day three. I was running 50 miles a day. And I carried on for another 400 miles with a stress fracture right tibia. And every footfall was like a piece of two by four getting smashed into my right shin. And there were times, many times, when I wanted to give up. But you've got to think about, there are so many people worse off than me. And if I say I'm going to do something, I'm damn well going to do it. So I got on and did it. You know, after a while, you let go of no more. Hasten to add. God, it's just like but, incredible though I mean you're like you say I think resilience really can be and is shown when you're at your you can be at your rock bottom and you have to dig deep for it and in the face of adversity you obviously found extreme resilience that you weren't even aware was there within you it's just incredible I think everybody has that ability I think we are we are incredible beings we all have the ability to go further and far beyond anything that we ever thought was imaginable. Yeah, well, you you definitely have, that's for sure. I mean, do you see the way you view life now before you had Parkinson's and now that you have it, do you see life in a different way? Has that viewpoint changed for you completely? Yeah. My viewpoint was that I had long-term plans. I don't. I live in the moment. I have I have maybe plans for maybe a couple of years ahead, but that's about as far as I go. Because you never know. You know, I mean, I have I have a. It sounds perverse, but every time I rock up to the start of a race or a challenge or whatever. I'll quietly say to myself, today is a good day to die. Not because I want to die, not because I think I'm going to die, but I am centered and I am set in myself that if anything bad happened to me, I know that I've lived enormously in the last 10 years. I've fitted in several lifetimes worth of stuff and I am centered and I'm Zen about whatever may be, you know? Yeah. So you're at peace with oh. it. I'm, 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 I'm at peace with that, you know? And whatever may come, I'm good. And that makes me save a life much, much more, you know? It sounds, it sounds, it sounds, that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But it, no, it doesn't it does. actually. I think it sounds, it's really serene. It's, um, I have good days and I have bad days and I take all those bad days and then all that negativity and I take all that anger and rage and bile and oh anger and I shove it through a process where I pull out positivity because to me you know I could I could be a lump of feeling sorry for myselfness you know and say why me why, why, why this, why that? Blame everybody else. Blame, blame the farmers. Blame whatever pesticides they might have used on the crops nearby my house when I grew up. I have no idea, right? But instead, if I seize every day with positivity and I look in the mirror every morning and I say, I love what I do and I want to make change happen for other people, and I want the world to be a better place because I lived in it. Rocking. You know? Yeah, it's amazing. And I think I definitely want to talk about the mental resilience. But first, I want to ask you about you know the challenges you've done so people can actually understand. So what was the best, well, what was the funnest challenge you, you partook in for yourself? Um, what the was the hardest? Fun challenge. Yeah. <laughs> the most fun challenge. Sometimes it's not the biggest ones that are the most fun. You know, 
like the PPP, the paddle, pedal, paddle, something or other. So Winchester PPP, small race, but oodles of fun, you know, doesn't go very far, 10K, 10K, 20K bike, 5K run, whatever, you know, it's, it's nothing, but it's a really good fun and it's about being with people and sharing the moment. And then you do something like cross America, 3,256 miles in 35 days using four different disciplines and enormous get run over and crushed by trucks and chased by wild dogs and or you end up in the Amazon jungle getting lost. Did you get lost in the Amazon? Yeah, I got I got lost in the Amazon in the dark. <laughs> next oh to God. a river with some other people, we had to build a fire and signal where we were because Lumo sticks weren't going to help. And, you know, getting lost in the Sahara Desert, running 150 miles across the Sahara. Um, you know, there are... There are so many moments that I couldn't identify one which would be the most fun. They all have their unique positive moments and their memories that I've, I'll cherish until I can't cherish them anymore, but I've written down in a book, so hopefully I'll get that published and then I can read back and think, wow, did I do that? So... Well, that would be an amazing book. I'm sure for everyone will want to read that. I mean, so when you're getting lost in these places and you're having these challenges, you're obviously having to really dig deep in your mental resilience because your body is probably already telling you that it doesn't want to carry on. So how do you find that sort of mental strength at those times? Because, I mean, it'd be challenging for anyone in great health and you still do all these incredible things with Parkinson's. So how do you dig into that? If I'm honest, it's almost like having a conversation with myself. You know, 2009, I was suffering with viral pericarditis. I didn't realize what I had, which was a, an infection of the pericardium, which is the fleshy sac which surrounds your heart. And that was when I was running the Marathon de Sable across 150 miles of the Sahara Desert in really stupid heat, 135 degree heat. And that's Fahrenheit, by the way. So uh, <laughs> 60, 60 degrees Celsius. And it was wickedly hot. And I'd passed out on the start line of the third day with this, this niggle in my chest and I thought it was a trap muscle. And I woke up and I thought to myself, where the hell am I? And the race director comes over and they said, we're giving you six bags of saline and a bag of glucose. How do you feel? I said, great. And they said, what do you want to do? I said, I'm going to finish this bloody race. So they said, great. So I ran off into the desert and probably got lost on my own. And... To find yourself in an unknown position, miles from anywhere, 60 degree heat, a litre and a half of water, all the dry food in the world, and the realisation that comes into your mind is, I am absolutely, completely screwed at this moment. And if I don't get myself out of this, somehow I'm dead. But the other realization is, how do I then get myself out of this? How can I extricate myself from this position? And there aren't any. And at that moment, I remember my stomach churning, wanting to be sick. And the only thought that goes through my head is, you can't be sick now, Flynn, because you're going to give up vital liquids that are going to keep you alive. So you just got to keep it down. And having that conversation with myself and thinking, stop panicking because panic will cloud your judgment. What you need to do is get control 
breathe. Let's go through the process of what way were you traveling? Can I go back? No, I can't go back because there's no bivouac there. They've moved on to the next part. Is there any available landmarks around me that can indicate some kind of direction or some kind of a sign of human life? No, there isn't. You know, and I'd got to the point where I had I'd exhausted all my options apart from my flare, and I thought it's coming up to midday. A flare is going to be about as useful as a chocolate oven. <laughs> I don't know if people are looking for me. I don't know how far off course I'm got. I'm I'm in a pickle. And this sounds really strange, but I'm, I'm not the most religious people. I have my own, my own beliefs and I keep them to myself and the rest of it, I don't, I don't propose any, push my belief systems on anybody else. But I, I looked up and I said to this, I looked up at the sky and I thought, I said, I could really do with some help. And out of nowhere, when I did another 360 degree turn, around about 240 degrees, there's a Berber tribesman working his way through the camel grass on a rusty, crappy, putch step-through scooter. And I'm thinking, I am obviously delirious and this is not really happening. And yet it was. And that guy saved my life. Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. Now call out what you want, but I have no explanation. I and mean, I just got shivers when you told me that because that is just inexplicable, isn't it? Unexplainable. Yeah. It's just, yeah. wow. What was your sort of thought when you saw, as an after you realised he was real? What was your thought in your mind? I was jumping up and down, waving my arms, going, me, 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 I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And the guy rocks up to me and looks at me and he said, you're lost, aren't you? In this thick Berber entwined French dialect. And he said, I said, pull my French together. And I said, oui, je suis perdu. And he said, viens avec moi, come with me. And that was it, you know? And he led me back to the course and he pointed out my colleagues going across this flat desert plain in the, in the heat haze. And I looked back to him to say thank you, and the guy had gone. Now, I did not imagine this. There was no way that I could have got from where I was stranded to where I needed to be. And today, I still have no explanation as to why that happened, who this person was, whatever. But if I ever meet this person again, I would love to shake the hand. I didn't even get a chance to say thank you. Oh, that's wild, isn't it? That's just such an incredible, incredible story. God, just that you didn't see him when he that he disappeared. I mean, that's just wow. That is amazing. I think I was. I think I was. I was overjoyed to see fellow competitors, knowing that I'd actually gotten away from being in a very serious position by the skin of my teeth, so. How do you feel after those moments when you've come back to sort of the safe zone, so to speak, and you realise that you were literally an inch away from death in that moment? Is there sort of what are the kind of thoughts that go through your mind then? I guess I, I, I don't really think about it at that point in time. I know that I've got other work to do, so I tend to get on with it. And it's only when I sit back and when I was writing my book and I reread it, uh, I, think I, I, I wrote my book in as a way of trying to put down on paper how I felt about my diagnosis, what I'd done and everything else up to 2014 when I finished my 10 millimeter challenge. And I put the book down as a manuscript 
and I thought nothing of it at that point because I'd reached that point of saturation with writing it. And I then came back to reading it about a year later and I thought, crikey, you know, I was, I've been very lucky. <laughs> I've been very, very lucky. You know, I, I, there, there, there are multiple points where I could have been seriously hurt or injured and dead or, or, or even killed. And I've been lucky. But I, I don't review it at the time. Yeah. Got many other things to do. <laughs> you definitely do. I mean, well, the list just goes on. I mean, if you could see the list of what Alex has done and sort of even intends to do, it's just, it's incredible. I mean, how many challenges have you done in total now? Countless. I mean, I, I ran the marathon to sub again after I got pulled out in 2009. 2009, went back in 2010, came 529th out of over 1,100 competitors. Um, I then ran 160 miles across the Bavarian Alps with an hour and a half sleep in 52 hours. Um, That's insane, with an hour and a half sleep. Oh, my God. I run, ran, tried to run from London to Rome in 30 days, succeeded but did 400, as I said, 400 miles with stress fractured right tibia, 100 miles south of Paris, had to get on a bike, cycled the Alps, cycled down into Rome, dumped the bike, ran through and ran through Rome, met the Pope. Um, that was bizarre. Um, very bizarre. <laughs> and um, 3,256 miles across America in 35 days using four different disciplines, as I said. And the Dolomites in Italy, the Colorado Rockies, and the Amazon jungle in eight weeks, max, within an eight-week period. Um, I've entered the ultimate guy competition in America for men's health out of a 1,000 competitors, including special forces and U.S. Marines and first responders. I came ninth. Wow. Um, what else? <laughs> I, I, did prime, I did Primal Quest in 2018. That almost killed me. Um, yeah, I had about 20 days' notice about, hey, Alex, do you fancy doing the race? We've got a team with Mike Klosser, five times world adventure racing champion. I said, yeah, great. When is it? Well, 20 days' time. Can you make it out? I said, uh, yeah, not being one to look a gift horse in the mouth. Let's, let's go do and boy, did I bite off more than I could chew. I mean, they, they've, 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 they've filmed the whole thing and I'm literally falling apart. And I still made the 240 miles in four days and five hours. Thanks mainly to my team, but to be honest, you know, it's just a matter of putting one foot in front of the other and hopefully not falling over. But yeah. Amazing. And then the other the other day, I decided I'd do some stair climbing, and I decided to do a vertical marathon, which is at least two point three times the height of Everest, which I completed in seven and a half days. As so for listeners, just to let this be known, we're in lockdown at the moment, and yeah. Alex obviously can't travel the world and do all his outside incredible challenges so he decided to set one in his own home which was like you say vertically doing a stair climb of what was it twice the height of Everest 26.2 miles or 2.3 times the height of Everest for Parkinson's UK which is just I mean that I said to you when we spoke before how did you manage to keep going during that because your other challenges are obviously so hard but you get to see nice things at least whereas this is just you and your staircase over and over and over again. Yeah. It must be so hard. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's more of a mental challenge than a physical challenge. Physically, it's really hard. And it was was painful on the body. My Achilles was absolutely killing me. My feet tendons were crying out because I got tendonitis in my feet as a consequence of this. 
and my metatarsals were oh so painful because I was doing pretty much in bare feet because wearing your trainers as lovely as I like wearing trainers for my sport, the angle where your foot comes down, the back of the trainer impinges upon your Achilles so that, you know, it becomes really painful. And I got to the last 69 reps. Now a rep is to the top of my stairs in the house, to the bottom of the stairs, up and down is one rep. That's 12 meters total round trip. I had 69 of those to do, to finish. And I thought, I am in so much pain and I am so knackered, but I'm going to run this. Because if I step up the steps, normally, I don't think I'm going to make it because I was in that much pain. So I double stepped for 55 minutes continuously running up and down the stairs, going through the pain of that to get it finished in a shorter time. And I did it. And it wasn't until I'd finished that my friend Simon, really good runner, ultra runner, trail runner, really great guy from Denmark, um, said, that's an incredibly hard thing to do. And I hadn't looked upon it as that because when I, when I, when I, when I, I think he was thinking about the mental element of seeing the same scenery, the stairwell, all day, every day, seven and a half days. And he was saying that would drive anybody nuts. What I was doing when I was doing that was actually switching off. And there are times when I've run ultramarathons and I will effectively almost like go to sleep and my body will take me to where I need to be. It sounds weird, doesn't it? Do you go into almost like a meditative state? Yeah. Yeah. And I will just keep going and almost like wake up, bing, you know, I'm here where I need to be. How did that happen? Okay, (laughs) I'm great. Or I will, or I will, or I will concentrate on what I've got to do in my life and what things I need to achieve and how I'm going to go about achieving them, creating strategies. And when I've finished a hundred miles or whatever, I'm Zen. My life is organised. You know, so I'm good at being able to shut off from the monotony of things. Yeah, that's amazing. Do you have, I mean, it's um, it's a very different meeting than people usually have to get organised, isn't it? Yours is like just <laughs> meeting with yourself. It's amazing. But do you have a process for your mind when you're outside of these challenges? Do you work on your mind to get to be in that state or is it just something that comes naturally to you? I think it's it's come naturally to me. I think, um, I think I've, 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 I had an interesting childhood. Um, My father was an alcoholic, verbally and physically abusive sometimes. Um, And I think that hardened hardened me as an individual. It made me have the ability to take the abuse that I would get on the races and everything else and be able to shut off from it and compartmentalise pain and go through go through hell and come back out the other side you know yeah. That's not the same. And I'd like to point out that it's not the same. My dad was a bad guy. He was he was a great guy. I just think he had his foibles and his weaknesses, and it got the better of him. So, you know, but would you, you say are the good? product. You are the product of what you what you've experienced in life, and I've experienced quite a bit. Yeah. Would you say compartmentalization then is the key to your success and the challenges? 
just being able to yeah for example with pain i visualize it you know a lot of people get to a point where they they can't deal with pain and i feel that if you visualize it you can do something with it so, so how I, do you visualize it it's a mass it's a it's a blob it's a whatever you want to visualize it as at that moment in time and i create a white room in my 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 head it's always light in this room there are no windows there's one door and there's a box in the middle and you you mentally open the door with your hand and you open it wide and you walk in and you open up the box and you shove the pain that you're visualizing into the box and you slam the lid down on it and then you walk out and you slam the door shut behind you making sure that door is nice and tightly closed and that has helped me through a humongous amount of pain also having running with a small stone in your shoe <sighs> no that's that sometimes that's really good because you it takes your mind off the pain by focusing it elsewhere oh yeah i could see that actually that's a lesser pain for something else that's a sort of uh yeah sounds ridiculous but <laughs> you know does work that's but amazing compartmentalization is, is is key to a lot of things in life you know um especially dealing with 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 pain or dealing with stress you know i think too many people have to deal with stress or are not dealing with it i think is the more important thing yeah absolutely and the way i deal with it is through exercise yeah compartmentalization exercise two amazing things for stress I mean, would you say actually, because I always ask this at the beginning, but we just carried on an amazing conversation. Would you say the greatest stress or loss you've personally had to overcome is being diagnosed with Parkinson's? No. Not at all. I think the greatest loss I have, I've, I've experienced today is the loss of my mum. Yeah. When was that? Back in early 2019. I mean, she, she'd already gone in her mind and I was in New Zealand. I just spent the first thing that morning jumping out of a plane from 16,000 feet. I had the most amazing skydive and I get back and I get a phone call from from Amazon TV about a project that I, I, I didn't end up doing anyway. But um, they, were, they, were, they were wanting me to do a TV show and it, it subsequently didn't work out, but I thought, wow, that's amazing. And the moment I put the phone down, my brother phones and tells me mum's dead. And that has been the biggest loss of my life to date. You know, Parkinson's, you can live with Parkinson's. And I think I've shown that. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> but mums are irre irreplaceable. Mums are important. And uh, yeah, I miss her greatly. It's amazing actually that you you say that because I've, I've lost a parent. I lost my dad last summer and I've lost a sister. And I will say that, like you say, you've been through such an incredible like change in your life in terms of Parkinson's and something like that. But to have someone that you love go is just, it's something that never comes back for you. It's such, it's such a huge loss. And I think, especially at this time during Corona, there's going to be so much, so much grief going on, so much loss. And that's something I really really feel for people because when you've been through it you think god and i just thought recently how can you know the poor people now that can't even attend a funeral with the people they love have that taken away from them because of the way you know the corona lockdown has happened i think that's such a such a sad side effect for the I process think, i think the, the the saving grace is that 
whatever happens, we remember those that we lose in our hearts and in our minds, you know? Yeah. I mean, the end of the day is you're not going to see them when you go to a funeral, generally. So you're going to be sat there thinking about the good things about them, what are the memories that you have, and those are the things that need to be cherished, you know? And I think my mum would have been pretty proud of me. Um, yeah. No, it's amazing, but also I'd, when I think about spirituality as well, because I mm-hmm. always ask all my guests what spirituality personally means to them, and your story in the desert was such an interesting one to me because you obviously have a belief in something, but I don't like talking about religion because that's its own separate thing, but I always think spirituality means something different to everyone. So what does spirituality personally mean to you? Gosh, that's a question that I wasn't expecting. <laughs> um, spirituality means to me spirituality is the understanding from my point of view of being comfortable in one's own skin being one with yourself there are so many people that try and that have lives where they do the things that they don't want to do, like they, they, they take the wrong job and they stay in the job because of the money. Why do that to yourself? Or they don't accept themselves being the way that they are. If you're naturally overweight, you're naturally overweight. doesn't make you any less beautiful than anybody else, you know? Being comfortable in one's own skin because that makes you a nicer person. You're not projecting your negativity on anybody else because there is no negativity. And that understanding and acceptance of yourself means you accept other people, I'm sure, much better, much more easier than would otherwise be. And I think that would make society more cohesive and appreciative as a whole. And I think a lot of people have understood that during the coronavirus pandemic because we've had to isolate ourselves with our loved ones or partners or whomever. And you've had to, you have to let go of the, well, I'm going to get my hair cut today. Well, you can't. (laughs) So it's all going to go to pot unless you're like me and I've shaved my head <laughs> and, yeah and I'll grow it I'll probably grow my hecum for a bit and do something strange with it because you know, I think this is going to go on for a while longer and you don't have to feel that you necessarily have to dress up you just become comfortable being you and that stress that everyday stress that's gone you know yeah. And as a consequence, people, I think, are thinking of other people more often than themselves. I think that's my spirituality. I love that. That's a really, really beautiful way of putting it. So to finish, if you have sort of one intention or mantra or something that keeps you going that you could live by daily, that keeps you motivated, what is that sort of sentence or intention for you? Keep moving. It's as simple as that. You know, I mean, I started this all off in a kitchen over a cup of, cu- a cup of tea with my mate Rich, and he said, what are you going to do? You've only raised 1,500 quid for Parkinson's UK. And I said, I'm going to raise a million pounds. Now, I'm not even close to a million pounds, but I reckon I can still do it. And to do that, I've got to keep moving. Because if I don't keep moving, I will lose the ability to do that and lose other abilities. So my mantra is to keep moving every day because if I'm going to raise a million pounds for Parkinson's UK, then that's what I have to do. And I reckon I'm stubborn enough to do it. What's the next challenge that you want to do once this lockdown is over? 
I went on BBC Breakfast and I said that I was going to do the Four Deserts Grand Slam Plus, which is the Atacama, the Gobi, the Namib, the Antarctic, the Caucasus Mountains. And I was also going to climb Mount Mont Blanc, Mirror Peak, and Mount Himlum before doing something really big and stupid. Um, that seems to have gone slightly awry as a consequence of... <laughs> As a consequence of pandemic and everything, um, I think I'll be definitely doing a film of my attempt on the Namib skeleton coast if, fingers crossed, pandemic allows in November. And we'll go from there. So, yeah. Amazing. How can people support you in that then? Is it on your website to... My website, alexflynn.co.uk. That's A-L-E-X-F-L-Y-N-N.co.uk. Alternatively, if they want to donate to Parkinson's UK, which is a thoroughly worthy charity and worth your time checking out, parkinsons.org.uk, um, you can donate via my Just Giving. It's justgiving.com forward slash Alex hyphen Flynn, F-L-Y-N-N, and the number one afterwards. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Alex. It's been so wonderful talking to you today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, I really hope everyone follows your challenges and I'm sure we'll be donating and supporting your cause in the future because you really do put everyone to shame who's in perfect health, let alone, you know, who isn't. So thank you so much. It's been wonderful. Thanks. You take care. You Thank you so much for tuning into the Lawali Life podcast today. I hope you enjoyed this incredible episode with the amazing Alex Flynn. All details on how you can support his cause and adventures and raising money for Parkinson's can be found in the show notes. And if you are enjoying all the episodes, then please hit subscribe and download so I can continue to bring you more amazing people from around the world and help you through your own stresses and struggles. Stay tuned.